I, uh, I love that video. I will use any excuse that I can to play it. It's, the title, of course, is The Gospel. I hope you caught the, the message that was in there. It's the message that we're talking about today. It's the message that saved my life. It's the message that has saved many of the lives that are people here today. It's the good news, the gospel. That's what gospel means. You know, the, uh, the absolute uh, message that's in there is, is one that's proclaimed through the Bible. It's proclaimed to Christians. Uh, one of the main verses today that we talk about is, is, it comes from the Apostle Paul, a person who hated and persecuted Christians, came to know Christ. And everything changed in his life. He was radically transformed from, from someone who was full of legalism and judge, being judgmental and hating people to someone who spread the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ throughout the known world at his time. He says in a, in a letter to the people in Rome, a very decadent, fallen, uh, corrupt culture at that time that had a, a group of Christians living in the middle of it. And he said, I'm not ashamed of this good news. The gospel is, is the word that's translated uh, about Christ. It, the gospel is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes. To the Jew first, but also the Gentile. And, and here's the good news. The good news is that we're told how to be right with God. How to have our sins removed so that that barrier of sin that keeps us from a holy God is taken away. It's, it's, it's the good news that allows it. It's the good news that allows us to go to heaven and not hell. It's through Christ. It's good news. When we go out and talk to people about Jesus Christ, we're bringing good news, not bad news, to them. The song that we just uh, listened to, one of the words I asked them to put it up, to the skeptic, Christianity just sounds crazy. It sounds crazy to think, to, to proclaim that the, the creator of the universe sends his only begotten son to die a brutal, painful, agonizing death on a cross for us. That's just crazy talk. That's just crazy talk. In a world where our hearts are breaking, where we, we're lost, and get that, the mess we've made. This is... This is the mess we've made as we look at our lives, we look at our culture, we look at our society, sometimes even in our own families. The mess we've made. But like a blinding light in the dead of night, it's the gospel. It's the good news that changes people's lives. It's the good news of Jesus Christ that radically transforms us, us personally from the inside out. Changes families, can change communities, can change a nation to those who would follow it. That's, that's what we're talking about today. I, I love the song. I love the, the Apostle Paul, the way he puts it out. Very exciting. And, and, and that's what we're talking about today. We're talking about the good news. But we're, we're starting today, if you're a visitor here today, we're, we're starting a series. It's going to last several weeks. What we do as a church uh, every year, actually, is to remind ourselves why we're a church. Why, do we, why does Crossroads exist uh, there's so many churches in town. Why another one? You know, that's a question over the next several weeks we'll be talking about. What makes us unique and, and, and why, why we exist at all? Uh, this week we're going to be talking about the good news that changes lives. Next week we're going to do something we've never done before. 
dedicate a whole service to listening to people whose lives have been radically changed by Jesus Christ to tell us what happened inside of their lives when they became a follower of Christ. We'll have some uh, personal testimonies taking place. We'll go out and, and find some other ones that are out. We'll, we'll come back. And that's what next week is about, how he changed our lives. Uh, so that's next week. We'll do that. Uh, the, we- the week after that, we're going to do the hope of the world. What is the hope for this world? It's the gospel, but it flows out of you and me. It flows out of the church. So what should a church be doing to change the world we live in? How can we be part of what God's doing? So we'll talk about that the church is the hope of the world in that week. And then after that, we're, uh, we're going to have a, a worship service. That, the whole service will be that. The bands are going to combine that we have. It'll be a time of talking about worship, explaining worship, inviting people into worship, but also uh, a chance just to stop and say thanks to God, which is really what worship is. And then the next week is the... Uh, it's called Kids in Charge. Now, too many parents today live in households where kids are in charge. Uh, that's not what I'm referring to, and I'm certainly not advocating it. But we're turning the Promised Land crew loose on us. And they're going to come, they call it a Promised Landing, I call it a hostile takeover. Uh, they're going to they're come down, and they, they run such a meaningful I don't like the word program, but meaningful program upstairs, how they present Jesus Christ to the kids in a changed life. We ask them to come down once a year and just put on what they do upstairs so we know what's going on up there. So when we hear them jumping around, pounding the feet, and disturbing our service, we'll know there's a reason to it. So they're going to come down here and and do that. Kids in charge. And the next week we're going to do a... Uh, a message we do often, it's not a message, it's just a time of questions. We call it Ask It, where you can text in questions about the Bible. We're encouraging in relationships, family questions, all that. We'll be here to answer those. Uh, you can text them in, email them in, phone them into the office, uh, write them out, put them in the offering. Any way you can get us the information, put your questions in. And we'll be glad to take a whole service just to answer. We always enjoy that as we go. So... That's, that's where we're going over the next several weeks. The goal as a church is to get ready for September. September for us is like the government does the October funding thing, and so everyone's running around at the end of the fiscal year making sure they spend all the money they have so they get more. Uh, they prepare for the year that way. We're preparing for our year as we go forward uh, in that situation. So uh, we'll start, by the way, we're going to start a politically incorrect series in September that will run right through the election and we'll deal with each issue that will be on the ballot and that so we can offend as many people as possible in a short period of time. Uh, join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you're God and we're not. We live in crazy times, but in this world it's a mess we've made. And, and you've asked us to walk as, as, as wise people being aware of the dangers, the taking the precautions that are necessary. Thanks for the, the diligent security team that we have in place here at Crossroads, people who have stepped forward to be part of that. Uh, give us wisdom to respond. But also today, as we hear the good news, it is the answer. It is the message of Jesus Christ dying for our sins and changing our lives. So prepare our hearts for that message. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.
And our God saves. He does it in this radical, strange way that no other religion in the world would even consider. He does it through the cross. He sends his son to die for us to remove sins. It's by faith. That's the good news. It's not earned. So lead me to the cross is our response to that exciting time. And and, and we're going to be talking about what effect that has on us, how it transforms us. And and that really is, is the reality that Christ brings about. He doesn't change us uh, just a little bit. He radically changes. The verse says that when you become a follower of Christ, anyone who belongs to Christ becomes a new person. Old life is gone and new life has begun. The transformation is radical. It starts on the inside. It really does look different for everybody. I know when I, when I became a Christian, I, was, I still looked the same on the outside, tall, handsome, full head of hair, and, uh, well, not so much. But uh, I changed in that moment when, when, when I turned my life over to Christ. When I changed, and I can't explain immediately what happened, but it was real. It, it started to work itself out. In, inside of my life. I, I was transformed. I see that in people. And, and you see, that's the promise of Christianity. You see, we get, a, we get a new heart. We're told that our stony heart is taken out. I didn't used to give a rip about other people. It was all about me. I wouldn't say that to them. I don't care about you. But I, that was my heart. It changed. I got a new heart. I got a new spirit. The spirit of the world is removed when we become a Christian, that spirit that really literally is the spirit of those who are in disobedience, the spirit of the devil is removed from us, uh, we're told in uh, Ephesians 2.1. And we get new desires. My want-tos were changed because God was at work in me to will and to work his good pleasure. He, he gave me the desire to do what he wanted me to do. It wasn't forced. It was something I wanted to do because Christ was working in me. He gave me a new mission. Not just to satisfy myself, but to serve other people. You know, my eternal destination changed. I was no longer going to hell. I was now going to heaven. I was now going to spend eternity with Jesus Christ. Not that I earned it or deserved it, but Christ did it. He did that. You know, that's what he does in a Christian's life. We have to see that. But there's more in this verse than just radical transformation. All things become new. He commissions us. He gives us a mission. He sends them out. He, he reminds us that uh, God who brought us back to himself through Christ, Christ on the cross, and God has given us a task, a mission, a challenge to reconcile people to him. For just as God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, Sins were gone because of Christ. They're no longer counted against him. Christ paid for them all on the cross. He gave you and I this wonderful message, this incredible message of reconciliation that you can look anyone in the eye and say, you can, you can have a relationship with the living God. You can be his son. You can be his daughter. You can be in his family. You can be reconciled to God when your, your sins are removed. It's a message. We become Christ ambassadors. You know, ambassadors, we understand what that concept is as a country is concerned. A person uh, is commissioned to represent the United States to go to another country. So he goes, he carries the message of our country. He carries the culture of our country to tell them what it's about. And so we become Christ ambassadors. 
Each person here that's a Christ follower is commissioned, is, is sworn in, is sent out as Christ ambassadors. It's, it's not just a few, it's every Christian. We do it differently because we're differently gifted and equipped, but we're all sent out. And, and this message of reconciliation as Christ ambassadors, Christ is making his appeal through us. Parents, when you talk to your kids, Christ is appealing through you to your kids. Be reconciled to Christ. Be reconciled to God. That's a parent's number one job is to pass that message on to their kids. You know, it's a, when you go to work, that's the message we carry. When we, when we go out and we're in recreation, that's the message. When we're in a community, when we're in Walmart and people are running over our toes with their carts, our message is to reconcile those sinner rat dogs to the Christ. That's our job. <laughs> we're sent out. And the message is simple. It's called the Great Exchange. It says that God made Christ who never sinned to be an offering for sin. Christ became sin for me and it became sin for each person because the sins are paid for in Christ. So our sins go to Christ. Christ's righteousness and holiness comes and sits on us so that when God sees us in Christ, He sees us as holy. It's the great exchange. It's the good news that we get to carry to people. And just as a reminder to Crossroadians, that's the mission of Crossroads Community Church. This is why we exist, to glorify God by encouraging unchurched people into a fully devoted relationship with Jesus Christ. That's why we're here. That's why we exist. And, and, and notice the difference. Our church has never been designed to bring people from other churches. Our, our church is here to find, for you to invite people and for me to invite people that don't know Christ to come in. You know, bribe them with donuts. Bribe them with free coffee. Bribe them with whatever it takes to get them here. But get them here so that unchurched people can come to know Jesus Christ and have a relationship. That's why we're here. And if we, as we do that, we change Ridgecrest one heart at a time. People said, how do you change our country? How do you change... One heart at a time. And, you, you know, you guys are the connection to those hearts. So am I. When I go out, there's a subroutine always beating somewhere inside of me. Where's this person with Christ? If they're a Christian, how can I encourage them? But if they're not a Christian, how can I get them closer to Christ? How can I bring them to the cross? That should be every Christian's subroutine that's playing in all of your relationships. We don't see them as accidental meetings. They're divine appointments that we have each day to tell people about Christ. That's what we do. That's, that's our personal mission, and that's the mission uh, that we, we carry on as a church inside of our lives. Uh, again, the, the, the truth is that we have the cure to spiritual death. We have the cure to spiritual cancer. We can stop people and point them out of hell into heaven. You know, if, if you and I were to go to a cancer ward and uh, go to City of Hope, many people have been down there to visit down there. Many people have been treated down there. It's a can in, go in their cancer ward. You'll see adults. You'll see kids. You'll see seniors. You'll see all sorts of people, the whole variety of age, being dealt with in cancer. If you walked in there and you had the ability to cure them with the word... You do it. 
You see, we, we walk around in a spiritual cancer ward all the time. And, and we really want to make sure that, that they know. You know, I had an example I was getting ready for this. It just came to my mind about 40 years ago. I was a very new Christian, maybe a year or two, and, and testing out my Christian water wings and, and how do you get out there. I wasn't walking on water yet. I was lying on a life preserver and stuff. But I was just checking it out, and I, I believed God. He was transforming me. And my mother called me. She lived in San Diego. And we were up here, stationed in VX5 at the time. And uh, said she had cancer. And she was going to UCLA for treatment. Her lifelong friend, Stella, uh, Glenn and Stella, were lifelong friends. And so she went with her to UCLA as she went through the, the radiation treatment and the chemo treatment, which was very rare back as 40 years ago. This is when they were just experimenting with that. And so she had melanoma. And, you know, I love my mom. And uh, so I was, you know, prayed for her. But I got this incredible message, this unction, this, Bill, go there. You know, so uh, it was after a long day of construction work, I, I took our fast-moving VW bus <laughs> 40 years ago. And so I launched down there. Those hills that you go up, I had 40 or 50 new friends behind me honking at me to say hi. <laughs> Got over the top and, and, and got down there and uh, went up to Syria. But my message was simple, two things. Mom, I believe I'm supposed to pray for you and your cancer. Now, recognize she knew me as a drunken Marine, rebellious little snot kid. She loved me, but she has had no discernment. Uh, she had me, and she loved me where I was. So I'm down there, this, this transformed creature that she really hadn't spent much time with, and I'm telling her that I love her and I believe God wants me to pray for her. So I prayed for her, but I also did something else that was very important. I started to say, where are you with God? You know, I've had, I, I told just part of my story, the transformation. Where are you? Because the most important thing wasn't that physical cancer. It was where she is spiritually. And in that meeting, I prayed for her and, and she was healed. Uh, whether through medicine or miracle, I don't know. I'll take credit for it. I'll give it to God. But uh, but the point was, I started a process of talking to her about Jesus Christ, which is you do the the kid parent deal. It's a little. It was challenging, but did it, and it started a journey for us, which ended up a couple of years later, as she watched my life transform. I was visiting her one time, and she said, "Bill." Um, what's this God deal? So I bought her a Bible. She started reading it. Next time I was down there, she asked me something that I wanted to hear. Would you pray for me while I accept Christ? I'm looking forward to seeing her again in heaven. But that's, that's what we're allowed to do. We have the privilege and the honor of helping those we love to come to know Christ. We have the cure for emotional addictions, for anger, for depression, for confusion. We can pull families back together through Christ. We have the cure. And quite honestly, it's what Christians do. It's not a select few. It's every Christ follower becomes an ambassador for Christ. 
That's what we do in this world. You know, some of the, the verses that become a, a, a life verse for me is, my life is worth nothing. And every Christian can, can repeat this themselves. My life is worth nothing except to tell others the good news of Jesus Christ. That's our life mission. That's why we're here. We've received power from the Holy Spirit that allows us to be the witness. Jesus said to his disciples, you go and bring people in so that they'll know Christ. And then you raise them up. He says, I'll be with you, but you go. This is not a multiple choice. It's a go. It's a go get it done. And so today we're 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 starting this series and we're reminding ourselves. But I start with the question. Who are those people you need to go to? Who are those people that you know that don't know Christ? I don't care what they profess on the outside. They don't know Christ. Maybe they're in, in strife. Maybe they're in addiction. Whatever the case may be, you know who they are. You know some people. If you don't, get out more. And you know people who are headed for hell. You don't walk right up to them and say, oh, by the way, you're headed for hell. But you know that's where they're going. And God has put you in that situation, in that relationship, to be part of that change. It's not an accident. You're there. So as we, as we go through this, think who in your life needs the good news of Jesus Christ. And, 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 and stop them from going to hell because there's only two choices. We walk out of this world. It's we stand in front of Christ for judgment or we stand in front of Christ entered into heaven. Our choice. Each person is going to die one time. Then there will be the judgment, the division. God sends His Son into the world, not to judge the world. Everyone looks at Christianity as bad news. It's the best news. Christ came to save us, not to judge us. And it's, it's not a works deal. We can't build our little personal ladder to heaven and all that other stuff. It's a gift because Christ paid for our sins. And it's by faith and believing that that we can go there. And we get to tell people that. We get to tell people to take off their religious packs, all their deeds and works and things, and tell them Christ did it. Just come receive the love. That's the message that we carry. Each, and again, the title of this is, you know, everyone matters. You matter to God. Every person ever born matters to God. For Christ died for the whole world. He sent His Son to each person individually. He wants everyone to be saved. He wants our enemies to be saved. He wants those people that are angry at us to be saved. Those people that won't, he wants them saved. He wants everybody. He wants people in China, Russia, everywhere. We, you know, whatever political party you're in, he wants the people in the other party to be saved. Radical. So that's the message we carry to each and every one of them. So how do we do that? How did Jesus do it? He hung out. The Son of God comes to earth and he hangs out. He did have big teachings, absolutely. But it was on the foundation of relationship that he moved from person to person, inviting his disciples in, tax gatherers, 
Peter the buffoon, I think I can say that, he would agree, I was. (laughs) Peter, James, John, the sons of thunder, a zealot who was a revolutionary at the time, he invited him in, but there was a relationship. He'd, He'd get to know him. He'd walk with him. He'd talk with him. Loving people as he went along. The woman at the well, caught up in sin for years with multiple men and relationships. She has a conversation with him. What's the first thing she does? She puts down her water jug and heads for town to invite all of her friends out to meet this Jesus. That's what we're called to do. What an example to us. The woman caught in adultery. I love the story. We know it. She's being stoned. They're going, they want to stone her because she was caught with a man. And Jesus says, I don't condemn you. But he says, go and sin no more. But it was a relationship. He, he connected with people, the rich, the poor, the Romans, the men, the women. Life story of building relationships. We're going we're gonna to look at three stories that Jesus told. And uh, we're, many of us are familiar with all of them. They come out of the, chapter, the 15th chapter of, of the book of Luke, uh, who you know, talked about his life. And, and he talked about three stories. And the first one was he talked about lost sheep. So he told him a story. A man had a hundred sheep. One of them gets lost. What will he do? He leaves the 99, and he goes out looking for that little stupid Baba that got lost. And puts him on his shoulder, carries him back in, and rejoices. He arrives, he calls together his friends. Hey, uh, rejoice with me. I found my lost sheep. Left the 99. Go find that lost one. The next one is a story of ten coins. That a, that a woman had, uh, the assumption is that she's a widow and this is all she had to live on for the rest of her life. And so 10% of her TSP, her, her IRA, whatever her wet net worth, because they were on, if she was by herself, she was the only one she had. And she lost 10%. Boom. She had a stock market crash. And so she goes and she finds it. And but get the end of this when she finds it, she tells her neighbors, but rejoice with me because I found my last coin. In the same way, there's joy in the presence of God's angels over one sinner who repents. That's the story. All heaven watches you and your area and your friends when you're going out. And when one accepts Christ, there's a party in heaven over that. So Jesus tells these stories. That's God's heart to bring them in. Joy for those who are lost and are found. This is the good news for each of us. But he gives one more parable, one more story that most of us know. We've heard it so many times, at least I have. But every time, it's, it, at least it's got new impact. So we're going to talk about the prodigal son. This, this problematic son, this rebellious son. We're going to take the rest of the time talking about him. Jesus used what we call parables. Now, a parable uh, is a story, and there's the definition below it, usually a short fiction, fictional story to illustrate a moral attitude or a religious principle, provides an instructive example or lesson. When Jesus talked to the crowds, he used parables. He says, I'll speak to you in parables. I'll explain things hidden since the creation of the world. He gives a, a story that we're all familiar with. Oh, yeah. And, and then he'll give a spiritual application to it. And that's exactly what he's doing here. It's a parable. parable. So he, he tells this story about a prodigal son. Uh, he says, to illustrate this point further, after the, after the uh, lost sheep and the lost coin, he says, to 
to illustrate his point further, Jesus told this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So the father agreed to divide his wealth between his two sons. So here's, here's the son that comes into his father. And he says, I want my stuff. I want what you've got. I, I, I don't want to wait around. I, I want it now. And so a few days later, the son packs up all of his stuff that he had, his belongings, and he moves to a distant country. So he's, he's demanded of his father all his stuff. He goes to a distant, distant country, and he starts fast living. And he wastes all of his father's money. What happened was he was selfish and proud. He wanted his personal freedom. He wanted to run his own life and do his own thing. He was not thankful to his father, who actually was part of the creation for him and supported him his whole life up until that moment. He didn't respect his father and all that his father had done for him. He had taken care of him. And the rebellious son said, I want control. I don't want you to control me. And here's the very part that makes it worse. Very important. Even though the son did not want to submit or honor the father, the rebellious son wanted all the benefits of being a son. He wanted his inheritance now. Any self-respecting sinner rat dog would have just run away. He didn't just run away. He said, there, give me my stuff. I'm leaving. What he was telling his father, in my mind, you're dead. You're dead. I want your stuff now. I don't care anything about you. I just want this stuff. As he went away. You know, uh, that was literally what he was saying. Wow. That son really felt entitled. Pride, selfish, self-centered. He believed that he was, he was owed everything that the father had without any responsibilities of being a son. That's pride, rebellion, and, and arrogance of the highest order. But in the bad news of that son, there's good news. There really is. Because there's justice. Because we know where this story leads, leads to. Uh, after he leaves, his money runs out. The great famine sweeps across the land. He begins to starve. He begins to starve. He persuades a local farmer to hire him. Now, he persuades. I, I don't know why I got captivated by that word in different translations. So I looked it up in the original language. To persuade, the word that's used there is to glue to, to unite, to cling to. This guy wouldn't cling to, unite his, with his father. But now he's starving. He's uniting, gluing to, and trying to get up next to a pig farmer. And, and so now he becomes a slave to a pig farmer. And he, he's sent out into the field. He's rejected his father's love and authority, but he's now hanging on to this, this pig farmer. Now the crowning insult comes to the son when, when this boss of his now sends him out to feed pigs. A good Jewish boy feeding pigs unclean animals he goes out he wasn't looking out of his bacon 
He was looking at them as just unclean animals, but he was there and he had to feed them. And their food started to look good to him. He got hungry. It looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. So here he is starving, falling, feeding pigs in the pit, in the trough with them. This is the rebel, end of the rebellious son, the prodigal son. But we're going to see a, another prodigal son. Because this prodigal son, after a period of time, he finally came to his senses. He went from a rebellious prodigal son to a repentant prodigal son. He turned around. He changed. He says when he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, you know, at home, even the hired servants have enough food to eat. He didn't mention pigs there. He says, I'm dying out here of hunger. I'm going to go home to my dad and say, Father, and very true, I have sinned against both you and heaven. See, he understood the connection. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Please take me on just as a hired servant. He wanted to be glued, united, connected with his dad again. Even as a servant, he was ready to go home to his father. That's the repentant son. So he launches out. So that's the prodigal son both sides. Today we have prodigals here. We have prodigals that are still running from God. And many of them sadly want to call themselves Christians and yet not be united, glued, and connected to the Father. We want forgiveness, but we don't want relationships. We want to do our thing and get all the benefits. But there's also some prodigals here that are repentant. Many here are repentant prodigals. We fed pigs. We're here now. We came to our Father. Many here. But what's the father do? The father is God. While, while the son was still far off, his father saw him coming. His father's looking down the road. He's filled with love and compassion when he sees him. And he runs to his son, embraces him, and kisses him. Even before the son gets out his confession. But think about this in the patriarchal society that we were talking about. Here's the father, the one that runs the family, the one that's point of all respect in the area. He's looking down the road. He sees his son. He doesn't wait for his son to come to him. He pulls his robe up. Can't run in a robe. Sorry, ladies. So he pulls that robe up and starts hiking down that road, making tracks for his son. He wants to get there as soon as he can. And he throws his arms around him, and he, and he hugs him, and, and, he, and he kisses him. And uh, his son finally gets out his confession, uh, and his son said to him, Father, I've sinned against you in heaven and earth, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father immediately turns to the servants who serve the father and say, get a robe on this guy. Probably get rid of the one that stinks from pigs, but get a new robe on this guy. Get him a set of sandals. He's barefooted, walking around out here. He's hit bottom. But something else, and most, most people who study this, is, and put a ring on his finger. It's most, at that time, uh, the, most families would have a family crest or ring, and this was a sign of being part of the family and authority. Just give that to him. Restoring fully, putting back into all the authority he had before. He's my son. 
He's my son. And he, and he goes, uh, quick, put that robe on him. Now kill the, kill the calf. A fat, we've been fattening this guy up for a celebration of feast. The son of mine was dead, and he has returned. The lost sheep, the lost coin, he's there. So the party began. Wow. What a great father. What a great story. What a great story. But it doesn't stop there. And I think there was a moment in Jesus' story when he, when he sensed the father running, the father reuniting. Because he's describing his whole mission. So it's exciting and unpacking. This is so cool. I can sense Jesus' excitement. It's the hundred sheep. One is back. The coin is found. The son is returned. Rejoice with me. My son that was dead is now alive. But there was another player that was there. There was an older brother. Now the older brother... uh, knew what was going on when he saw his brother take the inheritance and leave. He saw him disrespect his dad. He saw him re, you know, reject his dad, hurt his dad deeply. He probably saw his dad looking down the road, waiting for the son to return. And he, heard, he was out in the field. He walks back in, dancing in the house, a party going on. He goes, what's going on? He says, your brother's back. Your father's killed a fatted calf celebrating his safe return. So the older brother was not celebrating. He was really angry. Now this is a look into his soul. Because you see, there really were two prodigal sons. The older son was no prize. Look at the story he tells. He was angry and it wouldn't go in. Father came out. Again, the father comes to the son. God comes to his children and begs him. After all, and he says, this is the son talking. All these years I've, I've slaved for you. I've never once refused to do a single thing you've told me. And all that time, you never gave me even one young goat uh, to, to have a feast with my friends He says, you know, I've worked and you've not done anything for me. You owe me. I'm entitled. His attitude is just as prideful and arrogant as his brother. It's just that his pride is, I've worked for you. You owe me. You have to give me this stuff. Pride and arrogance again. Uh... And so in all that, you never gave me a young goat. But, but when this, this son of yours who squandered all your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fatted calf. He's looking down. He's judging. He's rejecting his brother as unworthy to re-enter into the family that he's part of. His father says, son, you, you've always stayed with me. And everything I have is yours. You, you got your stuff. But we had to celebrate this happy day. He was dead. Now he's back. So we have, we have two prodigals. And, and there's no story. There's no, there's no line what happened after this. My assumption is that even if the son went in, which I don't think he did, he wasn't celebrating. He's walking in bitterness and rage and anger, looking down judgmentally. And you see, we have a lot of those older sons, too, in the Christian community that are so happy to judge other people that have different lifestyles, different political parties, don't dress just right, 
don't say the right words, don't go to the right church. You know, this judgmental Christianity, we'll talk about more in, uh, in a couple of weeks. This is what keeps people away. They call us hypocrites. They call us judgmental. That's older brothers. That's not the heart of God. But, but Jesus goes on from here too. He, he really doesn't stop. He's made his point at this particular point. But, but what was his real point? Why did he start this story about lost sheep, lost coins, and lost sons? He was responding to the religious leaders of the day that were condemning him. Because, you see, they were older brothers. They were judgmental of anyone. And, and here's why he told the story. He stopped to make his point. Because they were mad at him for hanging out with sinners. Matthew being the classic example. This comes out of Matthew's story. Uh, Jesus is walking along. He saw a man named Matthew, a tax collector, which was the, the, highest, you know, the, the highest sins and stuff like that, working for the Romans, taking your money. Uh, so, but he says, follow me. He invites him to follow him. So, so Matthew gets up and follows him. Later, Matthew throws a party. It's called a Matthew party. Christians ought to throw Matthew parties. That's when you invite all your sinner rat dog friends over to meet Jesus. Bring them over. You put them on the guest list. And so uh, Matthew invited his, uh, uh, Jesus and his disciples into his home as dinner guests, along with many tax, you know, tax gatherers and other disreputable sinners. That would describe, by the way, most of us here, if we're honest, but when the Pharisees, the religious leaders, the judgmental people, the older brothers saw this, they asked the disciple, why does your teacher eat with such, what's that word? Scum. That's how they saw other people. Scum. If you weren't of my denomination, if you didn't do it my way, if you didn't dress the right way, if you didn't talk the right way, you're scum. So he asked this, and why does your, why does your teacher do that? And Jesus heard this. He says, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. You know, go and learn what it means in the Scripture. I want, And here's what he does. By the way, I want to go back up. Well, maybe I won't. Yeah, I will. Uh, healthy people don't need a doctor. Stop hanging out with Christians. Go meet some sick people. <laughs> and tell them about Jesus. We'll talk about it in a couple of weeks. But anyway, going on. Uh, and then he added... He, he points them to their Scripture that they base their lives on. He said, here's the Scripture you need to remember. Go and learn the meaning of this Scripture. I, wanna, I want you to show mercy, not sacrifice. All your religious acts and behaviors and works, they don't get it. Go show mercy. He says, for I've come not to call not those who think they're righteous like you, but those who know they're sinners. You know, I get the honor often of talking to people in different places. And, and so often when I start talking to them, and I'll know, I'll know which category they fall in right away. Well, tell me about your relationship with God. Well, I go to church. I do this. I do that. I was baptized. You know, I, I, okay. What's your relationship with Jesus Christ? I love it when a person comes in and says, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. My only hope is the cross of Jesus Christ. I'm so unworthy. That's what Jesus was telling them. 
Get your act together. Do what God has called you to do. Go help sinners. Everyone matters to God. You've never looked in the eyes of someone that Christ didn't die for. Your worst enemy, your best friend, Christ died for. And we get to carry that message. We get to carry that message to them and tell them that God loves them. That's what today's about. He used parables to bring this point across. To tell them principles that they could hear. But the question in this parable is, is where are we? Who are we? Which side of the prodigal son do we sit? Are we the rebellious prodigal son? Or the repentant prodigal son? You know, which are we? And, and if we're a prodigal son that's rejected the father, are we still wanting his stuff? Are we still wanting our Christian t-shirts, bumpers, and, and call ourselves Christians? I did for 33 years, and I wouldn't. What category are we in? Which, are we the repentant son? Is that us? Are we the repentant prodigal that's come back and is welcomed into the family? I've sinned against you in heaven and I'm back. Or, and there's many here that, I, that in this story needs to be noted. Do you remember the servants that helped the father restore the son? Many here are servants and spend time every week and, and monthly restoring people, serving the father, telling people at work, but cleaning the church, running the sound, the tech, the serving coffee, even cutting those delicious godly donuts, <laughs> working upstairs with the kids. They're servants of the living God. Helping prodigals. It's what we do. Because we're new creations in Christ. And, and we're telling other people, be reconciled to God. Come back. We're servants. We carry the message of the Father who's looking down the road for each and every person. You know, and, and maybe some here are the older brother. Maybe it's time to, to change that view we have of other people and see them as someone Christ died for. See them through Christ's eyes. Be part of reaching out to people. You know, a recent statistic said that 11% of, of people who call themselves Christians who go to church only 11% have had a conversation, a, a, a personal conversation with someone who's not a Christian in the last week. I'm not talking about telling them about Jesus. I'm just talking about knowing them. Three years after becoming a Christian, statistically, most Christians have no meaningful relationships with anyone outside the church, and there's a world dying out there. We get to go tell them the good news. Someone told me. Someone told you. We get to tell others. Would you pray with me? Father, you're the God that reaches out. You're looking down the road as we speak. You're looking for the prodigals to come home. And you're throwing a party for the prodigals that have come home. You rejoice. You celebrate. There's dancing and singing in heaven over one person who came home.
Let us be part of that process. Thank you that you've chosen us. Sinners. Moral failures. Prodigals. To tell other people that we can be radically transformed from the inside out. Give us the wisdom to carry out that precious message. We pray and thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.